Have you guys ever gotten a text or sent a text to someone that you shouldn't have or received one from someone that you, it, you just weren't a part of the conversation, so you got a, a text that was completely out of context? Yeah. Um, something like, you know, she finally ate the watermelon. You're like, you're like what? It's okay. It's perfect timing. Or, <laughs> um, you know, just completely, what? She finally ate the watermelon. What are you talking about? Or it's not as, you know, as bad as the last time we went and you were just talking about something completely different. Like, what is this? Or this is actually one I've received. Um, I'd love to, but I've got really bad diarrhea and it's damp out. <laughs> And I just said, okay, I understand. Whatever, whatever it is that's going on, I understand. So these are three different quotes from three different contexts that can only be understood within the context of that particular story. Right? I mean, we've all had diarrhea. You know, it has been damp out. But, you know, but, but it doesn't make sense outside of the context of that story. And so we're going to keep, keep just going with this whole analogy. So imagine with me. And we're going to take our time with this. Imagine with me, you are heading down to Union Station from Vaughn. So you're going to drive to Vaughn, you're going to park your car, you're going to drive down to Union, or you're going to ride down to Union Station, get off, maybe you're going to go to the aquarium, or you're going to go see a Blue Jays game, or whatever you may want to do down there. And then you're sitting there, and then maybe like one or two stops in, the guy across from you kind of comes and sits next to you. And you're kind of like, okay, interesting. Never have seen this person before. And then he sits down and he says this. The name of the common wild duck is Histronicus, 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 Histronicus. And you're like, what the heck is going on here? Has this happened to anyone before? Okay. Um, if it has, let's talk after. But yeah, you know, you of course can understand the, con- you can understand the, the words that are being spoken. Okay. The common duck, I can understand that. You don't, maybe un- don't understand the Latin, but you understand the general shape and form of this sentence. But it makes complete, it's just complete nonsense to you in that moment. So you, of course, understand the meaning of this, but what the heck does this have to do with you, with today, with this moment, or moreover with reality? Like, what are you talking about, man? And so there must be some bigger story or context that would make this statement comprehensible, or at least we would hope so. And so there are three stories that could make this statement meaningful. Just, these are just a few potential things. He could have mistaken you for someone that he met yesterday at the library that asked, what is the Latin name for the common duck? You know, I get mistaken for people at the library all the time. He could have recently been at his therapist's office and they're working through his painful shyness. And maybe the therapist just said, hey, listen, just say whatever comes to your mind. I know you want to get out, you want to get out there and make some new friends. Whatever pops into your mind, just let it fly, buddy. And he's trying that. Or maybe he's a CSIS agent that has arranged to meet a contact on the subway and that's the code that will reveal his identity to you. That makes sense, more so than just a random stranger sitting down and telling you the common duck is called Histronicus, 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 Histronicus. So the meaning of this encounter depends on which story shapes it. You've, you've fallen along here. In fact, each story will give the event a completely different meaning. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about reality and what is actually going on. Like, what, what are we, what is, what is the, the life in which, the world in which we're living? How do we process different events that happen? Because different stories will shape different outcomes or con- the context will make things have different meaning. Leslie Newbegin, a theologian, puts it this way. The way we understand human life depends on what conception we have of the human story. What is the real story of which my life story is part? 
So as we go through life, there are many moments that feel just as out of the blue as those texts or that person sitting down next to you on the subway. And, the, the, you know, the things that we say to our, our kids as, as parents, just the most bizarre things come up. Or maybe difficulties in your life or pain or trials, difficult things happen in the world that we live in. But it matters what story you're attaching them to. As you process things, as you are going through life in real time, we need to know what story is the real story. We need something to ground us and help us understand the world and our place within it. Rabbi Zacharias says this, When you think of it, really there are four fundamental questions of life. You've asked them, I've asked them, every thinking person asks them. They boil down to this, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. How did I come into being? What brings life meaning? How do I know right from wrong? And where am I headed after I die? Here's the thing, guys. We are created as narrative beings. We are meant to be a part of a story, to fit into something bigger than ourselves. A story is the best way of talking about the way the world actually is. So that begs the question, is there a real story to help us comprehend and understand reality? Is there a real story? Or is it your story, my story, and we kind of choose for ourselves. We choose our own adventure. Or is everything just happenstance and there is no bigger picture or grand narrative that the world is unfolding within? It's just God kind of set the world on a top and just let it spin and it's out of control. And we're just have to, we have to make the best out of it. The reality is that we're told all kinds of different stories from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep. There's the, the story of consumerism, that the good life is achievable through the acquisition of stuff and relationships and experiences and you can create your own destiny. The modernist story says humans will conquer nature by the application of human reason alone. By science and technology, we will help build a better world for all. How is that working out? And this, the whole underlying premise of all these stories is that progress and purpose is possible without the presence of God. There's, very something, there's something very central that is missing in these stories. Other religions have their story of how the world works. And they propose that their story tells the true story of the world whether that's the Muslims with the Koran or the Mormons with the Book of Mormon or on and on the list could go. But where does that leave us? If, if we're a, a group of people that are professing to follow Jesus, to want to live life in his kingdom, what's our story? How do we define reality? If we are narrative beings, if we need a story to kind of set the tone to define what reality is so we can understand the things that happen in our lives, what is that story? So followers of Jesus believe there is one story of reality, and that is the story that is told in the Bible. It begins with God's creation and human rebellion and runs through the history of Israel to Jesus and on through the church, moving on to the coming of the kingdom of God. And at the very center of this story is the man called Jesus, and who God has revealed his fullest purpose and meaning for the world. Only in this one narrative can we discover the fullest meaning of human history and thus the meaning of your life in mine. That's Craig Bartholomew and Michael Goheen. So if the other stories in the world are typically saying this, that progress and purpose is possible without the presence of God, the story of the Bible, the one that we're wanting to follow as, follow, follow as Christians, is that the presence of God filling the earth is the purpose for our existence and the reality to which creation is heading. So as a church and as individual followers of Jesus, we need to find our reality and place within the story of God that is found in the Bible. Yes. All right. Genesis 1.1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That sounds like a story, does it not? It goes on, and all the way through to the very end, the end of the story, 
ends like this. Revelation 22, verse 20, says this. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. So Jesus is coming back again soon. This is a story. And so some of you, as soon as I'm talking about the Bible, some of your alarm bells might be going off. You might be like, there's some wild stuff in there that's even weirder than the guy sitting down next to you on the subway saying that statement. And I wouldn't disagree with you. There is some really weird stuff in the Bible. But the point is that what, whatever our background is, whether we've had it seen as, you know, some of us may have grown up in a home where you couldn't have even put this on the floor. You can't write in it. You can't do it. Some of us, maybe we use it as our pillow. I have no idea what your background is with the Bible. But the thing is, I think more often than not, when there's confusion and there's difficulty, it's because we're actually mishandling the Bible. We're using it for a purpose that it was never intended to be. We're using it, we're opening it up, and we're playing like this roulette of just like, I need a golden nugget of wisdom today. And we're taking it completely out of context. Or we're using it as this moral compass for everything that we're doing. And it's, it is all, there's all kinds of wisdom and morality and things within this book, but it is a story. It's a story that defines reality. So what happens is often when we, the way we use the Bible is we're trying to fit the Bible into our lives rather than seeing our lives in the Bible, in the story. We're going about it the wrong way. We're saying, God, this is my story. I want to fit you into my story. Rather than saying, God, you are the one, you're the author of reality. How do I fit into your story? What if that, the purpose of the Bible is not just like a, a rule book or a book of morality or a book of, you know, just random stories from long, long ago? What if it's something much more than that? Leslie Newbegin, the same guy I quoted earlier, wrote a, a great book just called A Walk Through the Bible. And in the introduction, he's talking about how he befriended this Hindu scholar and their conversation just about the Bible. And, and this is what the, the Hindu scholar said to him. He said this, I can't understand why you missionaries present the Bible to us in India as a book of religion. It is not a book of religion. In any way, we have plenty of books of religion in, in, in India. We do not need any more! Exclamation point. I find in your Bible a unique interpretation of universal history, the history of the whole of creation and the history of the human race. And therefore, a unique interpretation of the human person as, respons- as a responsible actor in history. That is unique. There is nothing else in the whole religious literature of the world to put alongside it. Ultimately, guys, the story of the Bible is the fundamental basis for everything else. Yes. As followers of Jesus, we insist that the Bible gives a truer, more accurate account on what is actually happening in our unraveling world. Something, this story will... will it's, it's way more clear than the stories presented by media or politicians or advertisement or whatever else. Okay, so we're narrative creatures. We need some type of story to live within. We believe as Christians that the Bible tells the truest story of what the world is meant to be and what reality actually is. So then what is that story? And this is a, a su- summary of the story is this. The story of the Bible is the story of heaven on earth being ripped into heaven and earth followed by God's glorious mission to reunite these two realms once again. I'll read that one more time. The story of the Bible is the story of heaven on earth being ripped into heaven and earth, followed by God's glorious mission to reunite these two realms once again. In, in keeping, guys, today with our pastoral vision for this year, we're hoping, I'm hoping, as I'm teaching, to bring clarity 
to what and how we step into the reality unveiled in the Bible. We want to be able to equip each of you with the tools to, and worldview to embrace reality as it comes to you. Because we live in a world that actually happens. You know, Sometimes I want to pretend like the world isn't actually happening. I want to just hide away. And that's what we do. We try to like, shelter ourselves from reality sometimes. And, we, and our desire is that you would live lives of consequence, which are, and this is the key point, which are firmly rooted and grounded in the story of Scripture. You need to be grounded in something. You need to be rooted in something. And as followers of Jesus, we believe this story is what we want. We want you to be rooted and grounded in. This picture here is something we've been working on. I don't know if you guys can see all of it, but this is what we're going to be unpacking the next seven weeks. And this story is kind of how, how this story we've broken down kind of into these circles and all kinds of other things. Um, but today I'm, I'm going to begin this kind of setting the tone, talking about what, what's real, what's actually going on here, because everything else has to fit into that story. And so we're, gonna, we're breaking it up in two different ways. So the kind of the, the vertical axes here, you see God's rule and God's place. That's what we're going to be talking about today, heaven and earth and how those interact. And then next week, Josh is going to be talking about God's way and God's people, those things coming together, which is apprenticeship to Jesus. And then we're going to talk all the way through how all this works together. So this is a, a picture of our church's vision and where we're going. Okay? Lots of circles. Okay, so... We're going to be unpacking this for the next seven weeks. And so today, instead of me trying to go through this in an hour and a half of, of the whole story of the scripture, we're going to watch a Bible project video, okay? So is it possible for someone to dim the lights and then it'll be a little bit more clear? It's like a six-minute video, and then I'll come back up and talk for a little bit more. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here, there's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but... Here's what's really interesting, is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy, because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning, where heaven and earth are completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world perfect. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a clear distinction. So you said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temple. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's present by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth 
Overlapping. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap? They're so different and they're in conflict with each other. This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth. Reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now this word dwelling is really curious. Literally it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. <coughs> What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus, and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story, where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as in the temple, he's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited by animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus? Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die. But that is not the focus of the Bible story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. 
I'm going to pray. Thank you, God, for the Bible project. And just for just the story of Scripture. And I just pray as we kind of spend the rest of our time looking at that and then how we step into that, just that you give us clarity and uh, ownership, God, and just help us find kind of an honest assessment of where we're at with this whole embracing reality. We love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Pretty talented dude, say. Yeah. So funny. Um, so, guys, this picture here, um, th- this next picture, is a way to think about the whole story of Scripture that we were just talking about. And so I'm just going to kind of walk us through the, the few different things just to kind of, again, we want to familiarize ourselves with this. If, if this is reality, if, if we're going to say we're going to follow Jesus and this is our, our understanding of reality is tied up in this story, we want to become familiar with it, okay? So the, the biblical narrative in five different acts. So the first act is creation, and that takes place in Genesis 1 and 2. And this is a game where heaven is actually on earth. That's it's a good starting point. So God created everything in the universe, and he declared it as good. In this, God creates human beings. And human beings in this garden, in this interaction, were created in God's image, and they were made for two things. One, relationship with God and each other. And secondly, to co-rule or rulership with God in partnering and caring for God's world. We're given a purpose. We talked about that a couple weeks ago when we met together. And so it, is, it was literally heaven on earth, a time where God's space and human space were one in the same. Good times. Yes. Then we move into Act 2, which is rebellion. Burn, burn, burn. And this happens in Genesis 3 through 11. And this is, in, in, that, in that part of the story, we, we hear about the rebellion and we see the fallout that happens from sin. So this is where humanity rebels against God's good and gracious rule, subjecting people and all creation to corruption and decay through their sin. This is when a little cartoon guy gave God the, the middle finger. I don't know if you guys saw that. That's a helpful picture, though. That's basically what we do to God when we're saying, you know what, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. And so what happens in this rebellion, it, this humanity's rebellion took us from heaven on earth to heaven and earth. Okay, that's the, that's the thing that happened there. That God's space and, and, and human, humanity's space wasn't completely overlapping anymore. Then we move into the middle of the story, redemption. And there's all kinds of stuff that happens in here. This is from Genesis 12 all the way through basically the rest of the Bible. And what happens is, is this. This is God's reaction to what sin had corrupted. God is not saying, you know what, you guys did this, sort it out yourself. This is God interacting to try to, again, reunite heaven and earth. So initially in this whole part of the story, Abram was invited to live under God's reign again. He invites a single person to, to, to live under his reign as if God's kingdom was actually invading the earth again. And that moves into Abraham, God calling the nation of Israel to initiate his mission to reunite heaven and earth again through that people group. And in this whole, there's all kinds of stuff in this story, but in that story, the tabernacle and temple that they talked about, that's the place where heaven and earth would meet. And that was through the animal sacrifices that, the, that they talked about and through priests kind of being the ones that would <clears throat> administer those types of things. So heaven and earth, it wasn't that there was total separation. Heaven and earth would overlap within the temple and the tabernacle. Then we fast forward a little bit more in the story and we see Jesus come. Jesus comes as the God-man, fully God, fully human, and he inaugurates the kingdom of God through his life, death, and resurrection. And in doing so, he reverses the power and consequences of sin and death in himself. 
So he it comes as the human who's living fully under God's rule and God's reign in his way. And that's what we see in the life of Jesus. So Jesus, through his death on the cross, reconciles us to the Father. And again, to, through that, to our original purpose of partnership and relationship with the Trinity. And this space where heaven and earth overlap is opened up to everyone through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. So that the central middle point of the story is the cross. Then we move into stage four, the renewal process. And um, what we see here is that the kingdom of God is advancing through the church. Interesting. The the church being made up of spirit-filled followers of Jesus, partnering again with God to see his rule and reign established in all creation. And what, what I was thinking about this morning as I was go over, going over my notes, it's just a bunch of people who are agreeing with reality. This is how the world actually works. We live underneath God's rule and God's reign and partner with him to see that come into all creation. So in this whole renewal process, God's work of renewal is not just tied up with humanity alone. So God's work of renewal is comprehensive. And Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. But the, the reality is of sin and, and the, the penalty of sin is that Humans are in need of renewal and redemption due to the effects of sin and rebellion. And so is all of creation. So all of creation is in need of renewal and redemption due to the effects of sin and our rebellion. We live, though, in this tension here of the already and the not yet. And this is the the hard thing where difficult things still happen in our lives. It's not that everything goes swimmingly all the time. We live in this tension of God's space and our space becoming increasingly overlapped but not completely and fully. But it's, it's overlapping in a greater capacity where future realities are becoming present realities through his kingdom advancing and through the work of the Spirit. And all of this, of course, is heading to the fifth part, which is new creation, which we see in Revelation 21 and 22. And this, is, this marks the completion of the mission of God, which is the total and complete union of heaven and earth once again. And there we will live in perfect harmony with God and each other in a new city, the new Jerusalem. So that's the story of the Bible. So again, the story of the Bible is the story of heaven on earth being ripped into heaven and earth, followed by God's glorious mission to reunite these two realms once again. Cool? I think it's important for us, you know, as we're thinking through kind of where we're at with this whole idea and this whole reality of, of kind of, if you were to plot out the story of your life, how, how, how central you would be to that story and how we can interject that into, into God's story where we can, might say the story of the Bible is the story of me being a screw-up and needing to be fixed and me trying to become more religious and hopefully God will look on me with grace and maybe one day I'll make it to heaven when I die. Is that the story you're living in? And just let's be honest with where we're at and what, what realities we're creating and living into. So there is a real story. We see it laid out in the scriptures, but... Where do we fit into this grand narrative and how do we as individuals and as anchor point find our place in God's story? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> this is where faith comes in. Okay, bear with me. This is where faith comes in. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I think we do ourselves a disservice like with a lot of words. I think faith we tie to like, okay, which church service or you know, which, which you know, religion are you a part of? But faith is a human thing. Faith is a human thing. Whether you're a Hindu, an atheist, a scientist, all of us have trust or confidence in something. Be it money or karma or ourselves or Jesus, 
all of us have faith in something. So as followers of Jesus, what does it look like to have faith? When we see something and we, we're experiencing life in real time, it doesn't line up with what you know, God's kingdom looks like, that already and not yet tension. How do we receive this story as reality and, and not just fall to what we can understand with our very eyes? This is what, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live by faith, not by sight. I think for me, I've often compared and contrasted faith and doubt. I don't think that's the point. Faith and sight is what Paul is putting together here. So how do we compare and contrast sight and faith? Um, sight is predominantly how you, know, you and I have been taught and trained to see the world in the 21st century. And this, this would boil down to just simply we're trusting in what we can see and, and perceive with our senses. So what we can touch, see, smell, hear, and taste. Yeah? That's, that's, what, we're, that's what sight is. And so this is what Mike Erie says this, about this whole way of thinking. The scientific method has become the primary filter for knowledge in Western culture. Something counts as knowledge only if we can know it scientifically. If we can't, we classify it as a value, an opinion, or a preference. And as the modern story goes, none of us can claim one value, opinion, or preference is privileged over another. The methods and content the sciences certainly, of the sciences certainly add to our ability to relate accurately to the world, but humanity has much more at its disposal than this. What we can know about the world is much broader than the modern story would have us believe. Faith is one of the ways of knowing what the modern story leaves out. Interesting. So then what does that look like? Okay, that's different than doubt. And so you, this may shock you guys, but sometimes I have doubts about this story. I'm like, really? That's, that's what's happening? Like, that's, that's what's going to go on here? And I think it's, it's freeing for us to realize that we can, we can struggle through things. We can process through things. But if our default is just, if I have to see it to believe it, that doesn't really work with this. So faith is more synonymous with trust, with certainty, and with assurance. Faith sees the world beyond what our eyes and five senses can perceive. Faith, again, I want to make it abundantly clear, faith is not in opposition to doubt, but to sight. This is my really simple definition of faith. Faith is trust properly placed. Where this story is written and defined by God. God Yahweh is the author of reality, and I'm going to trust his story over mine. I'm going to read a long quote, but it's a good one. This is from Dallas Willard. We need to see that the heart of our life lies in our faith, and getting this right is tremendously important. Not so we can get points for being right, but so we can interact successfully with reality. Okay, let that sink in for a sec. That is how faith saves us. Our faith in Jesus Christ enables us to integrate our lives with his life in a way that makes the resources of God's kingdom pour into our lives. When you have a correct faith that you have fuel in your car's gas tank, your reward is not that you believe the right thing. Your reward is that your trip to town works and you don't wind up stranded somewhere. People who believe in the virgin birth don't get points for believing in the virgin birth. They live in a different world. A world where virgin births occur is a different world from one in which they don't. A world where Jesus Christ rises from the dead, a world where we have a reliable word of God in the scriptures. This is different from a world where these things aren't true. And when we believe we live in the true world, we gain riches and realities that God has provided. When we don't believe we live in that world, we are simply restricted to what we can work with and work out on our own. 
another quote from Mike Erie. Faith is not a blind leap. Because I think sometimes we can think that I'm just going to throw myself into this and whatever. Faith is not a blind leap, not believing in the irrational and not merely acknowledging something to be true. Faith is much bigger, deeper, and greater than that. Faith is a way of seeing the world. Faith allows us to enter into the story right in the middle of the 21st century. So as followers of Jesus, we receive the alternate reality revealed in the Bible by faith. Okay? That's how we step into the story. It's by faith. It's okay. God, I'm putting my trust in you. That there is something bigger than myself. There is a story going on that I don't have the pressure to kind of make up the ending. You already have the ending. I'm going to follow along with you. And we step into that story. We step into reality by faith. And I think what we realize in our day-to-day lives, when we live in a way that is contradictory or we're living in a different story, there are often really painful consequences, right? There's a way in which the world got, the way, there's a way in which God has created the world to work. There's a story that we fit into and when we're living in a way that opposes it or we're trying to drag our story into God's story, it often has painful consequences. So we are invited into a whole new reality through what Jesus has done for us. And we must step into it. We must actually engage with it. We must act on it and experience it. This, of course, is embodied perfectly and lived out perfectly by Jesus of Nazareth. He is our example of this. And he says this to his, his, his disciples, the guys he was training up and just kind of teaching how to live life in the kingdom. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. And when you do that, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John eight thirty one. Some of us have read verses like this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, what does that even mean? It means, if we're thinking about it in con- the context of the story, you've got you to fit into God's story by faith to please him to be engaging with him, to live life in reality. We need faith to be a a huge working part of that, to live in his reality. And so this is what Josh is going to be talking about all next week, is how we learn from Jesus to live life, how we learn from him his definition of right and wrong. So we must learn from him how to live life in the kingdom and become human in reality, not in some other reality that we've created or we have defined ourselves and this, of course, is the journey of discipleship, of apprenticeship, of following the way of Jesus that Josh is going to be laying out for us next week. But kind of in closing, guys, this is kind of where I want to leave us. And this is kind of going to be a, kind of where I want to end the next few weeks. Is kind of just actually, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I asked, I asked you to kind of plot out where you are in, in terms of you kind of living out the rest of your life. Where are you heading? Where is your life heading? Where are you going? And I think today and this week, what I'm, I want to ask you guys to do is, is take an honest assessment and figure out what story am I actually living in? Am I, am I creating my own story? Am I taking bits and pieces from this and that and the other thing? Or am I allowing this to, to define reality? Am I allowing this to be my story? And there's a few questions that I want us to ponder. So if you guys are taking notes or writing these down, I, I think I'll post these at some point on the Facebook page this week. But just, these are kind of the questions that Ravi Zacharias had in that quote. But the first one is this, who am I? So I want you to ask yourself this, this, that this week. Who am I and what does it mean to be human? The second thing, what am I here for? Or where did the world come from? The third thing, what went wrong? 
Or why does the world seem to be so troubled? And then finally, how can it be fixed? Can humans alone fix the problems of this world? And this is where repentance and belief comes into play. Where we talked about that a couple of weeks where Jesus is asking us to repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the kingdom of God. All that kind of stuff. Where we're going to have to reset, we're going to have to examine the story that we're in and realize, okay, is this story in line with what God has laid out in terms of what reality actually is or is it in opposition to that? And there, for a lot of us, for me, for you, probably there's going to be some changes that need to take place. And that's repenting. That's saying, okay, God, I was wrong and you were right. Please reinform me of what reality actually is. And so as we do that, as we repent, as we change our minds, this leads to changed lives. Of course, that's what we're after, right? And we want to be people who are actually living in reality. You know, I think that's such a difficult thing to kind of be talking to people and you're like, what planet are you from? Like, what are you even saying? And I think that's, as Christians, we've done a disservice to people because that's often been the flavor. It's not tied to this. It's tied to bits of this, but the context is wrong and it's all over the place. And we're building a story that isn't really God's story, but it sounds spiritual or something like that. But we want to fit into the whole story of God, into the reality that God has laid out. And simply put, we want to trade my story for his story. That's what we want to do. And so I'm just going to pray for us, guys, and we're going to respond with some singing and um, just continuing to trust God that he's going to reveal to us what it looks like to live life in his kingdom in the days to come. What would you guys stand with me? God, we're grateful this morning for your word. We're grateful for your story. What a gift it is to us. I pray, Lord, that as we kind of are spending some time this week processing what story we're living in, that we would be really honest with ourselves. Holy Spirit, that you would highlight things, that you would show us, that you would um, make it evident and clear to us where we're out of whack with your story, where we're living in a, in a false reality. And Jesus, where things are blurry, I just, again, just ask for clarity for each and every one of us. I pray that we'd be quick and willing to kind of, with faith, engage with what you've laid out as, as the truth, God. And that we would learn how to, to interact and engage with you and what you're doing in greater and greater capacities. We're grateful, God, for what you're doing in this church. And we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in Allison as it is in heaven. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.